Thank you for joining the Capital Church Podcast. We believe that Jesus is for you and that through these expressions of our community, you will find hope, healing, and belonging. To learn more, join us live every week online and visit our website at capitalchurch.co or send us an email at info at capitalchurch.co. Um, are you guys excited to be here this morning? Come on, somebody. How many of you excited to be here? Yes. Uh, they had my dad's name up there. I guess I'd look a lot like my dad, but no, I, my name is Chris Wild, if you don't know who I am. And yes, I am the lead pastor of this church. Oh, man, I'm so, so excited to be here with you this morning. Uh, we've been in our prayer series last week. If you were here, we talked about being a house of prayer. Uh, two weeks before that, my father, Pastor Ken Wild, spoke on intercession, which was absolutely amazing. Uh, I spoke on intercession, and then I think my wife before that spoke on authority that we have in prayer. So hopefully you've been blessed by our series in prayer. We're going to continue to talk about prayer. In particular today, I want to talk about the non-negotiable foundation of our life of prayer. And I'm going to get the cat out of the bag. It is the voice of God. More than anything else, you need to be able to hear the active voice of God in your life. That's my, my basic thesis. And then I want to talk about how we can insulate ourselves from anxiety. And so I'm going to do my best to kind of like flesh out how all that, it's a labyrinth, how all that kind of works together. So I'll do my best. Amen? All right. Turn to your neighbor. Don't say a word. Just smile at him. All right. Turn to your other neighbor and say, man, it's, I'm so glad you made it today. All right. So I took, uh, I was having one of those days. I wanted to give my wife um, some help. We have, if, if you don't know, we have seven kids. So I decided it was the worst decision of my life. I took four babies. We have a big van. And I drove them out into the country for two hours by myself. We had multiple stops. We had lots of screaming, lots of crying. That was on my part. <laughs> lots of, like, Eli, Eli, Lama Sabachthani, why, God, have you forsaken me? Uh, lots of bargaining. My two-year-olds are starting to fight. Do you guys have twins? I mean, it's just like all our twins are fraternal, like identical twins. They're just, they love each other. Fraternal twins, they hate each other, but we're working on that. So just, I have multiple stops where I had to get out and help my kids. On the last stop on this country drive, I remember I walked around uh, our, our big van and I remember I looked up and I saw, and maybe you see this, some, how many of you live out in CUNA? Okay, CUNA, so maybe you see this all the time. Uh, I love CUNA. Uh, but I don't want to live there. Anyways, I'm walking around our van. I look up and on this power line sat a dove. And I was like, I was dumbstruck, if that's a word. It is a word. Uh, this bird, we'll call him Larry. Affectionately call him Larry. This bird was calmly, everyone say calmly. Calmly, or you could even say defiantly, perched on this power line that could incinerate him at any given moment. And I, I looked at, up at him and said, hey, Larry. And he looked down at me and said, what? 
I'm kidding. That's a joke. Some of you are like, our pastor's going crazy. He's going out into the country and he's speaking to the birds. Number one lesson, don't have seven children, okay? What's, what's remarkable, or maybe unremarkable, I don't know, is that this bird wasn't wearing a hard hat, had no protective gear. He's not popping any pills. He's not drinking his grandpappy's moonshine. He's not frenetic. He's perched on a live power line, right? He's not pacing back and forth, losing his mind. He's, he's in a state, and again, this is where I was flummoxed. I look up at this bird, I'm like, okay, secret bird Larry thing, teach me your ways, right? He's in a state of complete rest and dependency, perched on a line that could evaporate his tiny little body within seconds. And then I felt like this was just a Holy Spirit moment. It's not a weird moment. I'm not going to start a monastic society organized around talking to the birds, okay? But the Holy Spirit reminded me of Matthew chapter 6 when Jesus said, do not be anxious. Look at the birds. What? Why do we need to look at the birds? Well, because your father feeds them. Hmm. So Jesus, in essence, is saying, hey, the birds, they're not fated to a life of anxiety. These tiny little birds, right, that you and I don't even care about. I mean, how many, how many doves reside in Idaho? I don't know, hundreds of thousands, right? Psalm chapter 50 tells us that God knows everyone by name and God provides for them. God takes care of them and their life is not shaped or defined by anxiety. If that's so, how much more should you and I not be defined by this anxious present moment that we live in? In fact, I think what Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter six is that this world is a perfectly safe place to be when you're with Jesus. No? Can I say that again? This world is a perfectly safe place to be in when you're with Jesus. Wow. Some of us don't believe that, and I get that. Yes, and what I'm not suggesting is that we deny reality, right? We deny that we're going through a hardship or we're, we're going through something really difficult, and we got to deny that, and that's somehow faith. No, faith embraces reality just is not shaped by it. Faith is shaped by this profound sense that because you and I share, if we're in Christ, we share the entire realm of sonship, not the divinity part, but the part where Jesus won the victory over the powers. And because we share in that, the world is a perfectly safe place to be in. However, our reality in particular, our human reality, is an anxious one. Anxiety carries the idea of being strangled and choked. Have you ever experienced that before? It's, in other words, anxiety is how we feel when we're anxious. Anxiety, which shapes our, our current moment, happens when we imagine a future without Jesus. It's when events seem to be cutting us off from life. We can be anxious over our failures, our mistakes. Uh, we can be anxious over a bad diagnosis. 
We could be anxious, anxious over pain that we're experiencing or maybe betrayal. Maybe we're anxious over our marriages. Maybe we're anxious over, will my spouse be faithful? Are we anxious over, man, am I going to get that job? I mean, anxiety kind of just defines the age in which we live in. And I'm going to get to this point. I'm going to build this out a little bit, but I'm a little bit ahead of myself. But I just want to make this point clear. Anxiety, I have found in many cases, is the byproduct, please hear me, the byproduct or the result of listening to the cacophony of voices in our virtual world. We have WebMD now, so you just Google your symptoms and then you find out you're going to die in three days. 40 years ago, you didn't have that, right? Now we have instant access to to, uh, all things pandemic. We have instant access to panic porn. Everything is hysteria. I'm not suggesting there are not things that we should be wise about and things that we need to know, right? There's some things that we really do need to know and we need to exercise wisdom in the age that we're living in. But right now we're living in an age of panic and we have dishonest people, dishonest people that are keeping us addicted to fear and anxiety. We have Billy Boy Gates apparently plotting to take over the world. I don't know whatever guild you're a part of, right? We're obsessing over pain and suffering. We have instant access to it. And what I'm about to say undoubtedly is probably the, the, how do I say this? I think is the most understated thing I've ever said in the last five years. We are living in an age of anxiety. Let me say this really quick. Anxiety is not, oh, I have theoretical doubts about God's existence. Right? Which makes me anxious. Rather, anxiety is, man, I'm afraid that God doesn't even notice me. Anxiety is even more existential. It's like, I don't even know if God cares. Does God really understand what I am in my personal life, what I am going through? Thus, anxiety says, because it's rooted in a belief that God doesn't notice, God doesn't care, God doesn't understand Therefore, I don't feel safe. I think many people feel that. I think many people feel anxiety and fear in their life. One scholar who I respect a lot spent many years in in study, and uh, this is what he said. He had a dream one day. I'm going to read it here really quick. He had a dream, and he said in this dream, he learned more about the character of God than 10 years of studying in a seminary. Now, I believe in seminaries, and I specifically believe in Capital College. You better sign up today or I'm coming after you. And I believe exactly what my father just said. We need more teaching. Can I get an amen? But this is what he said. In this dream, he was, it began with with anxiety. He uh, had to, he found out he had to pick up Jesus from the airport. And so this is what he said. But this was a good dream. It started out, filled with anxious and he was wondering about if Jesus was going to be disappointed and if he was be able to recognize who Jesus was. But then he said, the dream ended good and it taught me more about God as I learned in all my years of studying theology. And this is what he said, all my fears were alleviated in a second. What happened was the opposite of all my experiences. Suddenly walking down the corridor toward me was Jesus, smiling, beaming with delight, Uh, coming straight for me, rushing eager to meet me. Everything about him was stunningly and wonderfully disarming. There was no awkward moment. 
Everything. Everyone say everything. Everything about him, erase that. His eyes, his face, his body embraced me without reserve and without judgment. I knew he saw straight through me. Knew all my faults, knew all my weaknesses, my lack of substance. I mean, this guy, and this guy has substance, guys. My lack of substance and none of it mattered. And for that moment, none of it it mattered to me either. Jesus was eager to meet me and all my anxiety left. So we come really quick. I'm going to deal with anxiety. I'm going to deal with our life of prayer. And I'm going to connect those two. But Psalm 33 and 29 respectively, they offer a worldview, which Trinity just read for us, which insists that we have no reason to ever be anxious, number one. Number two, it also provides, as I mentioned before, the non-negotiable foundation for our life of prayer. First, both Psalms broadly sketch out what kind of universe we live in. Do you want to know what kind of universe we live in? We live, in the words of one scholar, a communicating cosmos, not a non-communicating chaos. In fact, the worldview of the Psalms is really simple. God speaks and we were made or designed to hear his voice. Can I say that again? God speaks and we were made to hear his voice. Psalm 29 mentions the voice of the Lord, which I think is the best translation, seven times. Psalm uh, 33 mentions either the word of the Lord, the breath of God, God spoke, or he commanded five times. So guys, this is going to shock you. Are you ready for this? The creator of space and time has a voice. Whoa. In fact, uh, we come to Psalm 29. It says that the voice of the Lord is immense and filled with power. It shakes the wilderness. It smashes. Everyone say smashes. It smashes uh, the agent of chaos. It thunders over the flood. In other words, the voice of the Lord is basically telling us that the Lord is sovereign and king over all of creation. John chapter 10, verse 27 also tells us, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. And I know them and they follow me. Psalm 33, as we read, says the word of the Lord speaks reality and consciousness and breathtaking mountain ranges and even people who have cats into existence. We now acknowledge today that you are human and I will never acknowledge this again today. Okay, let's move on. Every reality, everyone say reality. Reality is the result, Hebrews chapter 1 tells us, is the result of a thought from God and he just speaks it into existence. He just speaks it into existence. Yes, the words we find in Psalm chapter 33, the words of the Lord frustrates the counsel of the plotting nations and I think that's a good thing, right? There are powers that are carving up this world that need to be rebuked and need to be stopped. Can I get an amen? There are people defined by wickedness and folly that, that are self-serving and that do not have the interest at large of our city, our nation, and our world. Can I get an amen? amen. I think that's uncontroversial. 
I think what the pandemic has exposed is that we have severely in the modern Western world underestimated the reality of evil lurking on every street in America. Okay, no? All right. But the words of the Lord frustrates the counsel of the plotting nations. And that voice and those words are to be feared without question. But, 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 the voice of God is affectionate and caring. Verse five says, the earth is full, the steadfast love of the Lord. That is, you gotta, you gotta take the voice of the Lord, you gotta map it contextually onto that verse. And that tells us that God's voice is filled with steadfast love. Another translation, which I love, it says that earth is drenched in God's affectionate satisfaction. So God's voice is self-authenticating. That means God doesn't demand anything. He just speaks. And I just hit puberty again for the second time. <laughs> Guys, I don't know what's happening to my voice lately. God, that was bad. His voice is self-authenticating. He, he doesn't demand. His voice is filled with love, yet his voice is more powerful than 10 trillion nuclear facilities. Yet the voice of God never coerces us, doesn't manipulate us, nor is it anxious. So the question is, Chris, how does the word of the Lord, the voice of God, relate to our anxious moment, one? And two, why is the voice of God so foundational for our life of prayer? Well, let me just say this. I want to make a, a distinction here. We don't have a prayer life. No, stop it. You can say it, I guess, if you want to, my prayer life. But no, we don't have a prayer life. In Christ, we have a life shaped by prayer. When we say we have a prayer life, we just, honestly, we automatically assume that, oh, I'm going to pray for two minutes a day and that's about it. Or I'm going to go to church maybe once every six weeks and that's about it. No, 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 no. As followers of Jesus, we live a life shaped by prayer. I'm going to define prayer here pretty soon. So I'm going to try to do my best to answer those two questions. How does the voice of the Lord relate to anxiety, our anxious moment? How does the voice of God provide the foundation of our life of prayer. I have three responses. I have 10 actually, but I'm going to spare you and your minds. I have three responses to these questions. Number one, I feel like this is really important for at least some of you in this room and maybe someone online that's listening to this message. As I was writing out this message, I felt like I had to write this down. Number one, Psalm 33 again and Psalm 29 respectively argue that our world is not a cosmological fluke. It's not driven by blind mechanisms of chance. It's not inhabited by homo sapiens, right? Who are simply a, a bundle of atoms or, neuro, or, neurochemically, or neurochemical reactions, right? Uh, the world that, that Psalm 29, Psalm 33 tells us is created by the God of affectionate love who has woven purpose into the very fabric of all of life, especially human life. So why is this so important to say? Well, because I've come to believe in, with my ministry experience and in reading a lot about anxiety and loneliness, I've come to believe that anxiety and loneliness in our present moment at the root level is not simply, oh, I'm afraid of grizzly bears and clowns. Or if you're lonely, I'm, I don't have friends and I'm pretty self-isolated. Yes, it certainly includes that. But at the root level, anxiety and loneliness is an inability to find meaning in one's life. Yeah, right, right. 
I feel like I got to say this. Some of you really need to hear this. Some of you, you, you have a pretty good sense or grasp of God's purpose for your life, but there's some of you, you are so confused. So I'm going to tell you, if that's you, I'm going to tell you, you really do matter because your life has meaning. Even though, because I can feel the pushback, even though how you feel or your circumstances say otherwise, the father of all things has woven purpose into your very mind, into your very soul, into your very biology, into your very heart. You are a purpose, not machine. You are a purposed creature that is designed by God to hear his voice. Come on, somebody. Secondly, the word of the Lord or the voice of the Holy Spirit insulates us from the ravaging effects of anxiety. Psalm 119, 105 says, your word is a lamp into my feet and what? It's a light into my path. This is not just simply, the psalmist is not simply saying, oh, God will give us guidance and surely God will give us guidance in life. How many of you want more guidance? Absolutely. But what this is saying is that through his words, we then enter into the purpose and the meaning of our existence. In fact, the words of God give you a reason to be alive today. It's a reason to be alive and filled with hope and meaning without the words of God, without his promises. Guys, what do we have? I'm sorry. Okay, I didn't even preach this on first service, but I'm sorry. If, if God has no voice and this world is just a bundle of atoms... And we're just neurochemical reactions, right? And we're living in a non-communicating chaos. Guys, this is good. Well, this is bad news. We have no hope. What are you doing? Why are you living? The fact that you're living, even though you don't think about purpose and meaning, suggests that you believe, even though you don't think about it, at the very core of your existence, that there is someone out there, not a hypothetical deity, but a personal deity, a God of affectionate love that is built out time and space and reality, and that you today really do matter. the words of God that insulate us from the ravaging effects of anxiety because anxiety, remember, is this inability, inability to find any sense of meaning in your life. Uh, we find in Matthew chapter four, Jesus is in the, the wilderness for 40 days. It feels like we've been in the wilderness for a year and a half, right? Jesus is in the wilderness and he's, been, he's being tempted by the Satan and he quotes Deut- Deuteronomy. And what does he say? He says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So Jesus is doing several things. He's taking metaphor and he's describing the word of God and he's comparing the word of God to bread, right? So in other words, God's word has nutrients that you need. God's word is, there's strength that you need that can only come from the voice of God. 
and his speaking. Come on, somebody. And his word that if you, if somehow you're deficient in the words of God, you don't have the nutrients, you're not going to have the resiliency. You're not going to have the strength. You're not going to have the anointing. You're not going to have the power. You're not going to have the ability to overcome and navigate what Pastor Ken talked about, this tricky present moment that we're living in. You're not going to have it. Some of you are, you're going to live a flummoxed life if you don't, if you're not led by the voice of God, because you're going to be led by some voice. And I'm going to get to that point here pretty, pretty soon. You will be led by some voice and it's not just going to be the voice in your head. Come on, somebody. You're not an autonomous, self-generated creature. No, you are shaped and influenced by your culture and the voices that surround us. So the words of God. The words of God are what we live by. They insulate us from anxiety. They give us purpose. So we are, as I talk more a little bit about anxiety here, we are drowning. I just feel like I got to say this, guys. We're drowning in a sea of divergent voices. And I'm just going to call it what it is. It's our digital age. It's our, it's our virtual life. My God. Everything from our phones. Do you know the average American is on their phone? I'm not trying to judge anybody because I'm the same way, sort of. I read my Bible and read all my books on my phone. So that's a little bit different than you guys. Anyways, I'm going to move on. (laughs) I'm such a jerk. The average American is on their phone for six hours. They touch their phones at least 60 times a day. Millennials, sorry, you're worse but I love you. Z, I don't even, I don't even want to know the facts about Generation Z. So I'm going to define our digital age, or our virtual life as social media, our phones. Uh, I'm going to talk about the news cycle. I'm going to talk, it's texting, it's calling, it's, it's just, again, YouTube, all that, all that kind of stuff, right? Are you exhausted with all this stuff? See, here's the thing. I read an article recently, and I think he's somewhat right. He's not totally right, but he's somewhat right. The article was titled, Down with Social Media Platforms. Let me, let me read this. He goes, in 50 years, social media in 2021 will look like the tobacco industry in 1960. They knowingly offered an addictive product and worse, hid the damage the addiction caused while actively trying to deepen the dependency. He continues, social media is like bait, which triggers rage, disgust, lust, hatred, and anxiety. The reason why you're so anxious is because you have instant access to suffering and pain on your phone. He calls it, social media, the heroin of the mind. I'm not going to get it. I mean, we could talk long about this, but we do know that, that our media presence, our digital age is physically changing our brains. We now, have the, we now have the attention span of a goldfish, which is seven seconds. <laughs> and then he goes on, and I think this is important, and, and I, my intention here is not to be political. I'm, even though I was a poli guy, I'm not going to be political here. This might be a little political, but hey, as your pastor, I'm going to say this. He says this, and I think he's right. Policing misinformation doesn't address the issue. He goes, the issue is Facebook and Twitter and IG and TikTok and YouTube, etc. 
This is what he said. The reason policing misinformation is unwise is because it's easy for most people to identify the ludicrous. We all know Elvis and the Princess Diana or the Goddess Diana did not have a baby, okay? I remember reading that 20 years ago in the aisle, right? What was it? Is it the National Enquirer? Is that still a thing? Guys, 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 guys. Most of us are not dumb. <laughs> Happy Sunday. I love you guys. <laughs> ah. Most of us, unless you're a New York Giants fan. Ah, got you. The problem, he says, is lines between legitimate debate and uh, misinformation become scientifically impossible to draw without good faith arguments. And this, you know, and I, I think he's right. Unfortunately, what, what some people call misinformation is simply information they do not like. I'm going to get, this isn't just about misinformation. I'm not, I'm not playing to the right or to the left, right, on the political spectrum here. Right? I'm not playing even to the middle. I'm your pastor. And I'm trying to make the point that there's a lot of, yes, mis misinformation, lots of disinformation. However, it's social media that's generating, generating this alienation of good faith arguments or discussion about hard things. The line between, it's a, it's a razor sharp line between truth and misinformation. It's sharp. It's, and that's why you need to have good faith arguments. My, my question, again, I'm, I'm not going to try to get on my soapbox here, but who's checking the fact checkers? No, don't even amen that. Just listen to me. Some of you, I'm getting you going. I don't want to get you going, right? And the reason why I say that is because there was a 28-year-old fact checker, and I'm not trying to denigrate this person's age at all, very smart person, but she wrote an article about five of the top epidemiologists in the world who wrote a scientifically peer-reviewed um, piece on something that I'm not even going to get into, okay? And because it didn't fit her narrative, she called them out this person who has no degree, a degree in journalism, but not in science, and said they're misleading the public. And I remember, oh my gosh, 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 right? Who's going to fact check the fact checkers? But here's the, the, the point that I want to make, because um, I don't want to get into this, because I can get in, into this a lot today. I'm not trying to make a political point. The point is that there is so much mis misinformation generated by our social media presence that um, we are drowning in it. So whether accidental or intentional, our age has created a virtual conspiracy. And this is my point. Please hear my point. Against our ability to hear the voice of God. We are in the words of Neil Postman, a social critic in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, we're, um, we're amusing ourselves to death through entertainment. I think that's less so. I, I still think that's happening. Uh, but I think for others, and I think this is a bigger issue, we have become addicted to doomsday news and we wonder why we have no peace. But here's the bigger issue. This is the biggest issue. Okay, are you hearing me? 
Now, let me just say this. Some of you are like, we need to take our phones now, like Neanderthals. <laughs> After church, and we're going to build a bonfire. <laughs> and we're going to take our phones, we're going to burn it, and we're going to chant. No, okay? Stop it. We're, like, I'm, please hear what I'm saying, right? I think there's some good things on social media. Unfortunately, there's a lot of bad things. But I think for the majority of us, we have become enslaved to inferior voices of reason that are in direct opposition to God's voice and God's perspective. Here's the thing. We don't lack knowledge anymore. Do you agree with me? We have all the information in our phone. However, we are, as as a generation, we are deficient in wisdom. We have all the information in the world. We just don't know how to apply it. It's weird. We're living in this weird epistemic crisis. And that simply means we just don't know what we know anymore. Have you ever seen that game show where you have four celebrities? I don't even know the name. Four celebrities sitting like here. And then on the opposite side, they have four people who come in and they try to fake out the celebrities. So basically the show's premise is there's one person who's a river dancer. An ode to Shangro, right? Four people will come in. There's only one person that's a river dancer and the other three try to fake out the celebrities. So the celebrities just ask them question after question after question, trying to figure out who the river dancer is. That's our cultural moment. We're like, ah, when you live in the social media world and you're on your phone for six hours and there's all this information coming towards you, we're just like, ah, we're being bombarded with so much information, like, like, It's a guessing game to what's true and what's not. And maybe I'm overstating my case a little bit, maybe just a little bit, but I think you need to hear me. So we're living in a generation that has all the information in the world, but we're deficient in wisdom. But I I just want you to remember, remember the 12 spies? Remember 10 came back and they gave the facts? This is what they said. The giants are big. The cities are big. The land is big. And we cannot take it. So what, what essentially were they saying? They were telling the truth to an extent. They weren't lying. In fact, in the words of one pastor, I think he's right. They were inferior voices that were shaped by fear masquerading as wisdom. They were offering facts without God's perspective, without God's voice, without God's word. Come on, somebody. What they said was true to an extent, but it just lacked God's perspective, his voice, and his promise. What's the difference between knowledge and wisdom? The difference is wisdom does not deny the facts, does not deny reality, but takes the facts, takes reality, and then adds God's promise, God's perspective, and God's voice on top of that. Amen. I've heard this said many times before, but anytime we become impressed with the size of our challenge, we can be certain we have lost sight of the size of God's promise and his presence and his voice. In fact, when we become impressed with the size of the problems in our world, this doesn't mean we deny what's going on, 
But when we become so impressed with it, that's our pathway into fear, anxiety, and it takes us away from God's presence and God's voice. Third, quickly, and I'll, I'll land this plane. Prayer is the invitation. I want to define prayer. Prayer is the invitation through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus into an interactive conversation with the Holy Spirit. I think that's so important for us to understand. Prayer is the invitation into an interactive conversation with the Holy Spirit. Prayer, I want you to, please don't forget this. Prayer is not monologuing. Prayer is not a celestial experience with God. Prayer is not, I'm monologuing, I'm monologuing, I'm monologuing, I'm monologuing. It's not, I'm speaking in the void, I'm speaking in the void, I'm speaking in the void, I'm speaking in the void. No, 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 no. Prayer is not a one-sided conversation. In fact, prayer is nothing less than this inseparable relationship between being spoken to and responding in listening and then speaking back in kind. Remember, I've said this so many times, God is deeply relational. The kingdom of God is deeply relational. And if that's the case, relationships by definition do not make sense without back and forth communication. Right? If I came, if I came home today and I said, hey, babe, um, I got a new revelation from God. And this is what we're going to do for the next nine months. Um, I'm going to speak to you four times. Don't worry about it because all your needs and my needs will be satisfied. We're going to have everything we need. We're going to have intimacy. We're going to have, we're just going to, it's going to be okay. But I'm going to speak to you only four times this year. My wife is probably tougher than all your wives. I'm kidding. But what she would do, if, if I told her that, she would take her fist and she would punch me in the nose. But marriages don't work by just talking every now and then. The very basis of a marriage and how it functions is having a conversation, talking constantly back and forth. That's how you grow together. That's how you grow in intimacy. And yet many of us think that's how God relates to us. Guys, okay, I'm going to speak to you in January when we have our prophetic conference. And it's going to be big. And I'm going to speak big because you guys have big faith. And then I'm going to leave you alone for five months. And things are going to get really bad. And then you're going to repent. And then you're going to come to me. And then I'm going to speak one more time. And then you're going to kind of do your thing. And at the end of the year, at Christmas, I'm going to speak one more time. That's not how God relates to us. Some of you giving me the, am I acting weird or something? Some of you giving me the blank. What? God does not act that way. God speaks. Remember, God has a voice. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. It is the Holy Spirit who speaks to us. Man, one author said this, does God guide? Strange if he didn't. The psalmist says, he that plants the ear, will he not hear? He that forms the eyes, will he not see? And I have to ask this question. He continues, he that made the tongue and gave us power to communicate with one another, shall he not speak and communicate with us? 
I do not believe, and this is his declaration, that God our Father is a dumb, non-communicative impersonality. God speaks. And you were designed to hear his voice. If we want a renaissance in our culture, we have to open up our hearts and our minds to the voice of God. Many people, it's funny, many people are surprised if God should speak to them. We're shocked if God should speak to us. I want to build a culture. I don't know if you know this, but I'm building a culture in this church that's going to be formed by the power of the Holy Spirit, formed around prayer. And I want to build a culture where we have a high expectation, a high expectation to hear the voice of God. I want to build a culture around being surprised that God should not speak to us. Can I get an amen? So how does the Holy Spirit speak? I have, you know, four weeks of messages I can get into, but I need to land this plane. Uh, I think the Holy Spirit speaks in very creative ways. The first way that he speaks is through his word. He speaks through his word. This last year in my own life, this is, how do I explain it? I could explain it this way. Um, it's like taking 20 years and telescoping 20 years of crisis and problems into one year. I went through, you know, having seven children, which is such a blessing and not a burden. <laughs> had COVID, not trying to glorify COVID, but had that, had long COVID for a long time. Then had a diagnosis of MS, but thank God that it wasn't. Uh, MS. Uh, struggled through a lot of different things. Still have weird sensations in my body. And I'm just learning, guys, as your pastor, I'm learning to live by the voice of God. What I'm preaching is not, oh, I'm preaching to you. What I'm preaching is what I'm li- forced to live every single day because of what I've been through. And I, I hope and I really believe I'm getting more healthy in my mind and in my body. And my hope is that you will become more healthy in your mind and also in your body. But the Holy Spirit has spoken to me in so many different ways this year. He primarily speaks to me through his word. Uh, He has spoken to me on many different occasions through other people sending me a, a text right at the moment that I needed it. Isn't God so good? God speaks through uh, different signs, and those are important. God speaks through his active voice. God has an active voice. Remember, it's self-authenticating. It's filled with love. And God is speaking to us, not minute by minute, but God is speaking to us so many times. And I'm, I'm just wondering if we're not tuned in to God's voice. This year has forced me to listen to the Holy Spirit. And what's so good about God is God knows how we how we communicate. God knows our language and he communicates to us in creative ways. So as I end here, what are our practices or what's a practice for this week? I like to end on a practice for the week. And uh, I want to begin with Psalm 46 verse 10. Give me just two more minutes and then we'll be done here. Psalm 46 verse 10 says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. I like the translation here says, surrender your anxiety. Another translation says, let go. Everyone say, let go. go. Another one in the Septuagint, it reads, relax. Everyone say, relax. 
Surrender your anxiety. Let go. Relax. Then you have the command, be still and realize that I am God. The Latin for being still here is vacate. It's the word we use for vacation. And we all know what happens on vacation. What do we do? We stop our normal routines and practices. We get on a plane and we get away. We leave all the cares back at home. We get away, go to another place. This is what God wants us to do. He wants us to take a vacation. He wants us to be still. It's it's funny. Jesus tells the, the crowds to sit before he miraculously feeds them. Jesus rebukes the storm by saying, peace, be still. I love David in Psalm 23. It says, he, the father, Yahweh, makes me lie down. So here are two practices for us this week. This is how we move into hearing the voice of God. And this is how we insulate ourselves from anxiety. Number one, you guys ready for this? Just for a week, this is my challenge. Get off your phone. Some of you are twitching right now. Some of you are like, your head is doing something weird. Maybe it's a little bit too much. Some of you, you're hardcore. Take a week. Get off your phone. I promise you, you will not regret it. If that's too much, take one day and just get off your phone. Get off all social media. Get off that Dallas Cowboys blog. I mean, come on. They don't know what they're talking about, okay? The last 20 years, they have failed me miserably. Get off that social media app. Get off, I don't know, YouTube, whatever. Just disconnect from your phone. Maybe it's one day, maybe it's this whole week. Because here's the thing. When you're drowning in the cacophony of voices and these divergent voices by being on your phone, it's almost impossible to hear God's voice. When my kids, my seven children are all screaming at the same time, you have no idea how heavenly that is. But when they're all screaming, it's almost impossible for them to hear me speak to them. Rye, my youngest, is a screamer. Might be he's the best kid, but might be the worst kid. We're trying to figure that one out, right? But he screams and then he sets off this chain reaction. Then King screams back at him. Then Presley just gets flustered because he's like, what's going on? Then Wavy Girl, she just growls. And then my big three, they don't know what to do. They start fighting. And then I'm like, I come down the stairs after studying, being in the presence of God. I'm like, what's going on? It's like, oh my gosh, you know? And yet it's so hard for them. Please hear me. It's so hard for them to hear my voice when there are all these voices and they're listening to each other and they're reacting to each other. The only way you're going to be able to hear the voice of God is you're going to have to practice getting off your phone. Not every day, not all the time, because of course there, there's good things on your phone. I'm not saying we burn our phones. I'm just saying your body and your mind and your heart needs to slow down. Number two, when you get off your phone, you need to practice listening. The best way, and I'm going to close here, the best way to do this is I think you need to take a psalm this week. As you disconnect or unplug from social media, your phone, whatever, take out a psalm 
and I want you to read slowly through it. Americans, we do everything fast, right? It's fast. Got to get through it. I got to get through my 15-minute devotional in seven minutes. Fast, 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 right? Because I got so much to do today, and I get it. We got so much on our plates, but what we have to do is we have to learn to slowly read the text. So this is what I do when I really need to listen and hear the voice of God. I take a particular Psalm, let's just say Psalm 29 and I'll read through it slowly. I'll think about it. Spend about 10 minutes just thinking about different phrases and the Holy Spirit will start to speak to you and things will kind of jump out and you'll see it. And then what I'll do is I'll start thanking God for what the Holy Spirit is revealing to me. So I'll thank God. God, I just thank you that you're over the chaos monsters. And God, my life is surrounded in chaos, but I thank you that you are sovereign over all things. That means you're sovereign over all my things, right? And then I begin to thank him for his goodness. And I begin to thank him for all that he's done for me. And then I begin to pray through this Psalm. I begin to then, the Holy Spirit will begin to lead me into prayer for certain people that he puts on my heart. And then I begin to pray for our nation and our, our city. And that will happen for a little bit. And then I'll stop after I've read slowly through the passage, after I've just kind of thanked my way through the passage and I've prayed my way through the passage, I'll stop for a good 10 minutes and I'll just sit there and I'll listen and I'll wait for the Holy Spirit to speak to me. Here's the thing, guys, the Holy Spirit knows exactly what you need every single day. He knows what you, what, what you need for your marriage. He knows what's going on with your children. He knows what's happening at work. He knows all about your future, good news. He knows all the mistakes in the past and he's not coming in judgment. The Holy Spirit knows exactly what you need to hear. We just got to slow down, unplug and say, speak. Because remember, prayer is not a one-sided conversation. It's an interactive conversation with the Trinitarian community of delight and self-giving love and life like you can't even imagine. There's a seat, as we talked about it last week, and I'm done here. There's a seat at the table waiting for you. God wants to speak to you. All we have to do is slow down. Amen. I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes. Father, I thank you for your word today. I know we went a little bit long, but I, I bless everyone here. I thank you that you're a good God. I thank you that our world is not a cosmological fluke. I thank you that you've woven into every son and daughter purpose and meaning. I pray right now that the power of anxiety would be broken over our lives. I thank you that we would learn new rhythms in this season formed around prayer where we can hear the astonishing, powerful, affectionate, caring, loving voice of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, we live not by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from your mouth. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, you would pour yourself out on everyone here today. We make a commitment make a commitment to unplug at least one day from our virtual life. And we make a commitment to slow down 
so we can hear your voice. God, we need people who can hear your voice. We need people that are strong and resilient and loving and full of faith in this generation that is defeated by anxiety and loneliness and despair. So I just ask, Holy Spirit, come and speak to our hearts. Fill our lives with your voice and your presence today in Jesus' name. So your eyes are closed. Maybe there's someone that's listening on live stream. Maybe it's someone here today. You've contemplated taking your life. I'm here today to tell you that God knows. God cares. He, he knows exactly what you're thinking about. He feels what you're going through. The good news is, is if you could just see your future, and you can't right now, and that's fine, but if you could see your future from God's perspective, there are good things in store for you. And I want to declare over your life, if that is you, I want to declare over your life that there's purpose and there's meaning and there's hope and there's restoration. And I believe this week that God is going to reveal himself to you in a powerful way. So I pray if that's anyone here today in the room, if it's anyone on live stream, I just ask Holy Spirit you would go and you would speak to your son and daughter. Father, we thank you that you're not the God who takes life, but you're the God who gives life. Church, can you say amen to that? We bless you in Jesus' name. Anyone struggling with identity, we take authority over that, or uh, anxiety, we take authority over that in Jesus' name. God's not given us a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. Father, I thank you. Anyone struggling with confusion, trying to figure some things out, trying to ah, make a difficult decision. I, I just really feel impressed, like even last week, that you just need Holy Spirit wisdom. Holy Spirit, come and lead your people by your voice. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the active voice of the Holy Spirit in our lives. In the mighty name of Jesus. I'm going to pray one more thing. If you need healing in your body, raise your hand really quick. Healing in your body, okay? Keep your hand raised. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Okay, Father, I thank you that you are the great physician and you are the healer. You're the healer of our bodies. You're the healer of our minds. I don't know what the condition that so many people have is, but I thank you that you do. And I thank you that by your stripes, they are whole. I declare it by your stripes, they are made whole. So right now in proxy, in proxy for the Holy Spirit, I feel like this is a Holy Spirit moment. I release the power of God into our bodies, the power of healing. Let it be loosed into our bodies in Jesus name. If it's cancer, we thank you that it has to leave. If it's a chronic condition, we declare it has to leave in the mighty name of Jesus. I thank you, Father, you know, you know, you know. And we thank you for your healing power in the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone said, can you give God a hand? Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like to give towards this ministry, learn more about our church and events, or are in need of prayer, please visit capitalchurch.co.